Hello, and welcome to Dialogues in Dermatology. I'm Dr. Todd Schlesinger, your Editor-in-Chief. We have another exciting podcast for you today. We hope that you enjoy. Welcome to the episode of Dialogues in Dermatology on Quality Improvement Measures. I'm Maral Kabarian-Skelsey, Clinical Associate Professor at Georgetown University in Washington, D.C., and I'm here with Dr. Rita Kaddish, who's Vice Chair and Associate Professor of Dermatology at the University of Massachusetts, and Dr. Gideon Smith, Vice Chair of Clinical Affairs, Chair for Quality Improvement, and Associate Professor at Harvard Medical School. Welcome. Thank you both. We're so glad you're here to talk about the Quality Improvement Symposium. And I'm wondering if you could just tell us some of the broad themes from this year's symposium. I think a key theme that emerged at this year's Quality Improvement and Innovation Symposium was the theme of equity. Our keynote speaker, Dr. Don Goldman, who is a Chief Scientific Officer Emeritus at Institute for Healthcare Improvement and Professor of Pediatrics and Epidemiology at Harvard, spoke passionately about the importance of improving equity in healthcare. Equity has always been one of the six dimensions of quality in healthcare, along with safety, effectiveness, patient-centeredness, timeliness, and efficacy. But more recently, the COVID pandemic has highlighted the disparities in care and health outcomes in the U.S. and has clearly demonstrated that we cannot improve health without improving equity. And so in response to that, the National Academy of Medicine actually updated the framework of how we define quality and put equity, I think, in its rightful place as the key value and the key driver that cuts across all other dimensions. And Dr. Goldman highlighted that change and from the start highlighted the importance of equity throughout all the projects and and measures that we do. How in general are QI projects identified and developed? So a lot of these comes from patient safety reports. Things go wrong in the clinic and we get a safety report and we have to analyze what happened. And then in the process of doing that, we find that there's some kind of system problem that we have to fix to try and prevent it from happening in the future. But obviously that's not the only way. There is a lot of peer-to-peer information and the resident symposium is a great example of that where people bring in projects that they've worked on at their um, clinic and then we realize that that's something that would really help our own clinics. We also look to the literature, obviously. And then, obviously, one of the other areas is, as we saw in the symposium, sometimes people look to national standards. They look to campaigns like Choosing Wisely or the mandate to have HPV or other vaccines before biologics. And so they look to see whether we're meeting national standards and how we can improve on that. And what makes a good project? Once you've identified a problem that needs to be addressed, what are the features of a good QI project? Well, I think, as Gideon highlighted, I think the key thing when choosing a project is to choose something that is important to your team and to your organization. So having people really care about what you're going to work on, I think, is key to the importance of the project. And then after that, I think things that really matter is having buy-in from leadership, so their support and also making sure that the projects we do don't increase burden and don't worsen burnout. Because often with the best intentions, we strive to make something safer or better, and in the process we make things more difficult. And so decreasing burden, I think, 
makes for a successful QI project. Yeah, as Rita said, it's all about the team. This isn't just about burden or the perspective of the physicians. In order to make something work, you have to actually talk to the front desk, the nursing, and you have to have um, magic subject matter experts as well. And to me, every QI project lives or dies by its metric. The metric is absolutely essential. You have to be able to measure the impact of what you're doing, and you ha that metric has to change meaningfully, meaning things like, say you wanted to change the on-time running of your clinics. If you are only changing it by two seconds, you can measure that, but that's meaningless to patients. So you have to be able to make a meaningful change. Can you give some examples of some of the metrics you've used in successful QI projects? Sure. I think we could actually even talk about the resident symposium with that, where they were looking at things like the rate at which they succeeded in getting vaccines to patients prior to initiating um, biologics. They looked at things like patient satisfaction. They also talked to providers and talked about their satisfaction. But a lot of times it's tricky to come up with the metric and to try and make this as seamless as possible and part of clinical flow. That's really a, a real bonus if you can make that happen because that makes the clinical project not extra burden for the physician. So if you can use your electronic medical records to try and extract data after the event, that can always be helpful. For myself, I have used patient and uh, provider feedback, but we've also done things like track things like the, the samples that get lost or the number of samples that go out without a label on. And clearly these are measurable, quantifiable things that you can see whether you're getting better or not. I completely agree that picking something that you don't have to spend a lot of extra work to measure is really important, and Dr. Goldman highlighted that. He yeah. used a quote that Dr. Berwick, who is a you know huge name in quality improvement, often uses. He says, in healthcare, we have two jobs, to take care of patients and to improve how we take care of patients. So that improvement part, the measurement part, has to really be part of your daily work. And I think it was really highlighted nicely, both picking to work on something that's really important and having an easy way to measure what your improvement was highlighted by our first winner of the Innovation in QI Award, Dr. Roshana Marman, who is the Assistant Professor of Dermatology at New York Medical College. So they, at the very start of the pandemic, realized the acute need to continue to maintain access. And they did, they knew that they were going to do it through Telederm. They also realized that in their patient population, Telederm can exacerbate disparities because of the digital divide. And so what they did is they implemented Telederm through uh, text message. So there are patients who could not log in through the web portal to do their video visits. They could easily do it through the text message method. And they actually had a lot of uptake. So in their patient population, there was a lot of desire to do telederm, but patients couldn't do it because it was so complex. And so simplifying that really allowed them to succeed. And what they measured was really part of our usual measurement that we do in each clinic. They measured no-show rates. And amazingly, in the middle of the pandemic, they were able to lower significantly their no-show rates throughout multiple sites by incorporating this text message-based 
Teladerm into their practice. And so I know I'll speak for Gideon too. We were so happy and proud that we were able to contribute to this work and support it through the AAD and through the Patient Safety and Quality Committee. That's terrific. You mentioned that increasing burnout is one of the challenges for these QI projects. What are some of the other challenges that residents faced in initiating and implementing QI You know, QI it's kind of, QI projects tend to be where the rubber meets the road. Um, it's working in the real world. This is not some isolated laboratory. It's not some well-designed clinical trial where a lot of things are very controllable. So, for example, there was one project where they were trying to do Spanish translation, and an audience member got up and suggested that they use uh, video translation. And that is a great theoretical suggestion, but the presenter was able to explain that their Wi-Fi coverage in their clinic really wasn't very good. And so a lot of times they, the problem that people come up about is what the real-world resources they have available to them. There was also another project where they talked about the difference between education of patients with videos versus in person, and then the COVID pandemic happened and that virtually all of their interventions were by video, so it became impossible to do that kind of comparison. So it really is about, you know, in the moment, you have to actually deal with the real world of the clinic and the time constraints of making something happen in a clinical environment. It was interesting that I think the COVID pandemic itself created the biggest barriers and challenges, but also brought the biggest opportunities. And I think that's often the case with a crisis. It's the, with the challenges also come opportunities. So the challenges were that just like Gideon mentioned, it interrupted normal clinic operations. And so projects that were planned in person couldn't happen. It also redirected services and redirected funding away towards the pandemic response. So some of their EPIC teams couldn't work on their projects because they were so busy dealing with the pandemic response. But it also created the biggest opportunities. One we saw throughout dermatology with the pivot from in-person to virtual visits, the huge growth of teledermatology that happened because we were forced to do it. And also Dr. Marmon, uh, as part of her presentation, mentioned that the reason they could be so successful was because in New York at the start of the pandemic, everything imploded. So all the bureaucratic barriers fell away and people were just trying to get care to the patients without worrying about what was perfect and just doing with what was good enough without getting in the way. And I think this really happened not just in dermatology and not just in the projects that we saw, but also throughout healthcare. This rapid innovation, and I really hope that we keep it after the pandemic because I didn't know that it was actually possible and we saw in the pandemic that it was. So I hope we, we keep it. Yeah, I think if we'd gone to our IT people three months before the COVID pandemic and said to them, okay, we need to move almost 80 to 100% of our care to virtual visits, they would have just said it was impossible. 
But it gave, a, as you say, it was a uh, huge opportunity, but it also showed us a lot of problems. It actually exposed a lot of problems in the access to care and how teledermatology has many benefits, but it also has weaknesses. And we had to think about the same kind of themes that we always do in QI about what kind of services are appropriate to teledermatology, how do we get access in terms or even of the social determinants of health, who has the ability to use internet, who has a computer, whether phone calls are better. I think, right, that we, as always, we have to weigh all the unintended consequences of our interventions and really think about how in the real world it's going to play out. Speaking of real world, we're now that we're in this we're post-pandemic new normal, have you identified any kind of universal themes that practices can adopt that are easily actionable and effective? I think one of the key themes in my mind, and Dr. Don Goldman emphasized it in his talk and his keynote, was that we must keep things simple. He really talked about how quality improvement science is just the scientific method, and we always or often overcomplicate it. So keeping it simple, just coming up with a prediction and then doing some iterative testing, focusing on what is most important to your team and organization and making measurement part of your daily work is really key. I think there's been a huge number of innovations, as we've seen in the resident symposium. And I think that one of the tragedies of COVID would also be if we let that pass, if we didn't use this moment to take a pause and think about what we have learned and how we carry that forward. Not everything we did in COVID should be continued, but some things absolutely have should. And how do we take the things that were good, carry them forward, and give those to our patients? And that really means we have to look introspectively about what we've learned over the last couple of years. And have you found measures that practices that don't have the infrastructure of your academic institutions, what are the things that people in private practice can adopt? I think if you incorporate measurement into your daily work, it doesn't have to be complicated. And of course, in academic centers, we often have more support. We have students who can help us. We have money where in private practices, those resources might be scarce and also time might be tighter. But I think incorporating uh, measurement in just what you do daily is the way to go. And Dr. Goldman highlighted an example from his work, which I think was not in dermatology, but it was in a a pediatric unit where every morning the team had just a, a little card where they would check off a few things that they were monitoring just as they went through their day. And by the end of the week, they actually had a lot of data collection and I think what's beautiful in QI, which, is, which makes it different from research, is that a little bit of data can really go a long way. We're not trying to be comprehensive. You don't have to collect data on everything that you do. You can do it over one day. You can do it over one week. So if you're measuring you know, how your biopsy process is going and you found you're looking for which step has um, potential for error, you can literally just have one of your assistants or yourself watch one day and just mark every time when that step doesn't go right. 
And that little bit of data collection can really highlight big gaps and areas for you to focus on. So again, keeping it simple and remembering that quality improvement doesn't require extensive data collection, just enough to know where to focus, I think can really take some of this burden and some of this fear of engaging and uh, with quality improvement and measurement away. Yeah, I think the key for anyone that's concerned about burden and private practice is to really focus on making this something that is part of clinical care already. There are lots of things that we do that generate data. There are lots of things that are captured in electronic health records. And some people um, participate in Datadurm, and that was actually highlighted in one of the projects in the resident symposium as a possibility for tracking back that data and seeing how improvements can be made. And the other thing is, you know, it doesn't have to be a solo effort. This can be a team sport. So, for instance, I know you're a Mohs surgeon. You could collaborate with private practices where it could be about how often do they send you something where the site is clearly identifiable. And so that's something that has to be done as part of clinical care, and I'm sure that you communicate with those providers anyway, but that generates data. And if that's just noted, that in of itself is a QI project. That's a great point. Do you have any other recommendations for people who want to find resources in order to get involved in QI? Well, applying for awards through the AAD and Patient Safety and Quality Committee is one way to have some funding, and it can be done by residents. And now that we have the Innovation and QI Award, faculty can apply as well. So just a pitch for for our awards and that they can help people get things off the ground. Yeah, I think kind of thinking broadly, there's a lot of resources out there, especially through the AAD. So, for example, come to the Resident Symposium. They give lots of examples of projects and how they did them and what went right and what went wrong. And sometimes you can just take a project and go home and model it yourself. There's also the expert resource group of the American Academy of Dermatology. It's people interested in quality improvement. And there's no requirement to be a member. It's You can come. They have a three- or four-hour meeting every single AAD. There is the Institute of Healthcare Improvement. They have a website, IHI.org. It's got great resources on how to do QI improvements. Some of the projects that the residents have done, they're all available online on the AAD website. The other things on the AAD website, we did a series of QI lectures for residents. And so if you don't know QI and you want to teach it to your residents, because that's now an ACGME requirement, those lectures are uploaded on the AAD website and can be downloaded. And Rita and I have actually just been involved in a committee who we wrote a two-part CME for the JAD, which will be coming out sometime this year. I'm not sure exactly which month yet. But it's the nuts and bolts of how to do quality improvement and patient safety science. And I'm sure I speak for Rita too, if you're isolated, if you don't have local resources, if you don't have a local quality improvement officer, I'm always happy to mentor people, especially residents, or even to talk to people in private practice about how to do things. This is really core to what I do, and I'm happy to talk to anyone offline. They can just reach out to me. I agree. As you can tell, we're both very passionate about this work, and we love spreading the word and helping people. And 
Even if you miss this year's QI, QI symposium, the talks by residents from this year and from years past, we post on the AAD website. And so that's another great resource to go to and learn about what worked, what didn't, and see how you might want to adapt it to your practice, knowing already what has worked for somebody else and what hasn't. Any other comments you'd like to make? So, I mean, I think if you can take on QI, the really nice thing about it is you don't have to get it right the first time. QI is a process about continuous improvement. And so you have a problem, you come up with an idea of how to fix that, and you just take a look to see if it gets better. And part of QI training, if you look at IHI or you look at the JAD article that we have written, you'll see there's something called a PDSA, a Plan, Do, Study, Act. And so you're meant to do this in cycles. You try something, and once the data shows maybe it didn't get all the way to the target that you have, you tweak it and you improve it. And that's where it's really different from a lot of other kind of standard science like clinical trials, which tend not to be quite so adaptive in nature. I would say that what people often underestimate is that working on quality improvement can really add joy to your team, whether it's a big practice, academic practice, or a small practice, because often our days can be routine and difficult, and when you have something that you really are passionate about and where you can measure it and see that you're making a difference, it can actually increase satisfaction and increase joy. So again, if you focus, if you keep it simple, if you pick to work on something that you really care about, you can really bring enjoyment and joy to your work. Thank you both for sharing this important work that you're both doing and for sharing the robust resources that the AAD has for quality improvement. It's great work that you're doing, so thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you. We hope you have enjoyed this edition of Dialogues in Dermatology. This is Todd Schlesinger, your Editor-in-Chief. For more podcasts, including bonus issues, check us out online at the website of the American Academy of Dermatology or through the Dialogues in Dermatology app. You can now also sync your subscription to your favorite podcast app. New podcasts are released each week in addition to our monthly JAD podcasts. We hope you enjoy these new options for listening to dialogues and the increasing content for your listening pleasure. Thank you.